A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This is Court Today. Court Today with JP McNamara on C103. Court's greatest Good morning, this is Monday's Cork Today. You're welcome along, JP, in for Patricia and Bernie is standing by taking your uh, comments for the show on 0818-103-103 or indeed you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. You can email across the show corktoday at c103.ie and ahead on this morning's programme you would have heard on the news there at Barry all morning about this national slowdown day that is underway until 7am tomorrow morning. This is the crackdown on speeding and the Junior Transport Minister Jack Chambers is to meet Justice Minister Helen McAtee this week over the recent spike in road deaths. 127 people have been killed in crashes so far this year. There is talks of penalty points increases and also speed limit reductions in urban areas and while all this has been spoken about over the last week or so and again this morning and yesterday evening uh, the Rural Independent Group of TDs are out saying yes we do need to look at speed but also our road networks, are they up to scratch? Do they cater for today's traffic? Uh, we always hear of dangerous dun- junctions, dangerous roadways, uh, roads that simply cannot take the traffic. Uh, and uh, do they as well play a factor in our road deaths in this country and do sometimes maybe the Road Safety Authority and others look at the stats and don't look at the reasons behind the road deaths that is not all in relation to speed. Anyhow, uh, we'll be discussing that this morning. Your views are welcome. The National Slowdown Day underway. Uh, no, Nothing for Cork has come in yet from Angarda Chicana, but the nearest I have is from uh, Castle Island in Kerry whereby they detected someone going 130k in a 100k kilometre zone. That was on the N21 at Denise. Uh, and that's in Castle Island this morning. So uh, while that's underway, uh, mixed views on the issue of speeding and cars. And I know Maggie is straight out on text and on WhatsApp this morning. And she thinks that all cars should be restricted to 50k or 60 max, as it's like the smoking ban. When that came in, uh, people were smoking. Uh, they all knew the dangers. Uh, they didn't think about the dangers. But when the smoking ban came in, people got used to it. And we saw a reduction of smokers. If we introduce a limit on the speed a car can go people will just get used to it and Maggie feels the young will use the extra speed so if a car can go 100k or 120 they will try it it's just human nature uh, so look at the difference the smoking ban made surely the same could happen if we put restrictors on all cars when they are manufactured says Maggie on WhatsApp to 
103103. So would you agree with Maggie on that? Is that the way to go? Or look at our road network, discussing that shortly with Cork South West Deputy Michael Collins, one of those who's raising that uh, this morning as we are in the middle of National Slowdown Day. Also ahead though on the programme, illegal dumping. Uh, it's very frustrating for tiny town groups and indeed for councils who have tried before to clamp down on this with CCTV uh, but were disallowed due to new data protection laws. So now new measures have been put in place so cameras can be used to catch the dumpers. We're going to hear from Senator Malcolm Byrne on that this morning. Uh, welcome news for many. Some have reservations on cameras being used uh, catching their images but I think the majority uh, would be in favour of that. Your views welcome also. And we keep hearing and we're all very much aware of the cost of living across Cork and indeed the country at the moment and the pressures on each and every one of us. Well, because of that, many people now are cutting down on sporting activities and we're going to speak with Sports Ireland on that and what they are seeing from their annual report. On our Citizens Information segment, we'll be discussing farmers and housing grants and, of course, Annalisa Drizel is along after 12.30 answering all your nutritional questions. If you have a question for Annalisa, get that into us. We'll ask her for you after 12.30 and again lines open 0818 103 103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 We'll get to the issue of road safety on the show shortly but something else that's making news this morning. Uh, no surprise the urban-rural divide continues at this time in the classrooms as the uh, students return to both uh, primary school and secondary school many last week, more uh, returning today. It seems now that school children in parts of rural Ireland were twice as likely to be placed in overcrowded classes at primary level compared to those pupils who attended national schools in Dublin. This is an analysis of class sizes in more than 3,000 primary schools across the country. It was done by the Irish Independent and it reveals wide variations in the proportion of primary school uh, children assigned to classrooms with 30 or more students. Uh, The new figures are published by the department showing that uh, 11.4% of children were taught in a primary school class of that size. Uh, So overcrowding hasn't gone away. And for many people, if you think back to your primary school days, were you in a situation whereby you were in over Uh, in a classroom that was basically full or oversized as they say uh, on the Irish Indo this morning I can remember from our primary school days of being in a classroom and I think there was first, second, third and fourth in the one classroom and there was a sheet a plastic sheet dividing first and second class between third and fourth class now it was a very rural primary school in West Cork uh, so the population or the, the base of a classroom size wasn't very high for example there was about 11 or 12 in my class and we were the biggest class in the school uh, before that the majority class sizes for each class would have been four to five in a class so that's how they could maybe fit in uh, four classes in one room but because of that and because of the teaching method was different between first and second and third and fourth a plastic sheet separated us so many would say maybe it did no harm but if you look at the figures uh, this morning Cork is faring out on top as is Limerick, Kerry, Leitrim Westmeath, Monaghan, Kilkenny so mainly uh, rural areas are being affected by this And I'd love your thoughts on this because already you've got calls in from people who feel that this uh, is wrong. Um, And I can see a lot of calls coming in tonight on this as Bernie is taking them at the moment. Uh, This is to do with John Gilligan. 
Uh, and John Gilligan is facing jail sentences of more than six years uh, appearing before a Spanish court this week over the alleged running of a drug smuggling operation there. Uh, Gilligan's day in court though just comes hours before he is due to appear on Irish TV screens in the first of a three-part series on Virgin Media about his life of crime. Now the uh, criminal who was widely believed to have orchestrated the killing of the journalist Veronica Guerin in 1990 he claims in the series that he did not order her hit. He also claims that he did not assault her and only and he could quote it from him, lifted her to her car when she bravely confronted him. He then claims that Veronica had written an 80% lie about the incident. Now, Veronica's husband, Graham Turley, who has rarely spoken about the murder of his wife, confirmed he was aware of the upcoming series. Uh, he said he was notified about this, but they did not participate in it. And in 2002, Gilligan was acquitted of the murder. Uh, He was given a 28-year prison sentence then for drug trafficking, uh, but that appeal was reduced to 20 years. Of course, he was released in October 2013. Uh, But the fact that a programme is going to be shown tonight on John Gilligan, where he is openly talking about the incident in the 90s surrounding Veronica Guerin and elsewhere, uh, his involvement in crime over the last 30 years or more at this stage. And also the fact that he seemingly is due before the Spanish courts uh, over the next few weeks. Your views are welcome on that. Should that TV show go ahead? Should it be shown? Are they... Uh, highlighting crime in a way that needs to be highlighted or are they glorifying crime? Uh, your views are welcome on that. You can call Bernie in 0818-103-103 or indeed text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. And a lot of people unhappy with Virgin Media showing this documentary tonight on John Gilligan. Uh, George feels it's wrong. We ask for your comments on this on text or WhatsApp 862 103 Uh, George not happy but John O'Donovan says the programme about John Gilligan tonight should not be shown it is only giving the spotlight to a convicted criminal while Christine is in Castle Magna she's annoyed about the programme she says giving publicity to a thug she is thinking of the poor people he damaged with his drugs and indeed the Guerin family Uh, while Melissa feels showing a programme like this is highlighting the drug culture and could do more damage to people who are thinking about accessing drugs and highlighting uh, the culture of drugs in this country. It should be banned and programmes like this should not be produced. Surely uh, they can come up with something better than interviewing a criminal. Especially what he did when we look at the freedom of speech he took away from Veronica Guerin, says Melissa, on WhatsApp to 0862103103. And we're going to be discussing the road situation at the moment with National Slow Down Day, uh, which is in place and the government looking at different ways now to see what they can do uh, to reduce the number of deaths on our roadways. But a voice note in uh, from a person who thinks there's other reasons than what we spoke about this morning. Good morning, John Paul. I'm listening to your programme there about the accidents. I think it's not all down to speed. We were away for the weekend, my husband was driving, and the amount of people in cars that I saw looking at their mobile phones, trying to read text messages or talking on their phone or send messages, 
I think that is the majority of the problem with causing accidents because people are on their phones. Thank you for that voice note and I totally agree with you. The amount of people you see in traffic, I was at the junction of Blackpool on Friday evening uh, and at least three cars around me, everybody was looking down or not even hiding the phone. They were on their phones, texting or doing something anyhow on the phone. And the worrying thing is once a car, you know the way if, if you're stuck in traffic and the light may be red, but there could be a space between cars and some cars might just move up slowly uh, to make room and get nearer to the car in front of them. And sometimes you'd see somebody who was on their phone thinking the light has gone green, which it has not, and they're just about to take off. Now they quickly realise and they put on the brake and they stop. But you can see how accidents can happen. So I do agree with that person on voice note. The amount of people who are on their phones... uh, either sending texts or WhatsApps or scrolling. I'm not too sure. But anyhow, yeah, it is a problem. And thank you for your voice note. You can send your voice notes like that person did to 0862103103. And of course, do so when it's safe to do so. Uh, but we'll be discussing that issue of road safety and what should be done. And do we need to look more at the likes of text messages and WhatsApps that people are on their phones while driving? And indeed, our road network, our roads up to dealing with the level of traffic now, rather than always blaming uh, speed limits and indeed increasing penalty points would be discussing that next. Court today on C103. The junior transport minister, Jack Chambers, says the recent rise in road deaths is alarming. There has been a 20% rise in road deaths this year compared to 2022. And Gardaí and the Road Safety Authority are warning that years of progress on road safety is being undone as the numbers killed on the roads hit a six-year high. While the independent rural TDs, they're calling for the government to ensure the Road Safety Authority look beyond the data and explore all possible factors when tackling the ever-increasing number of road fatalities in Ireland. And Cork South West Deputy Michael Collins joins me on this. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, John Paul. You have raised this before, as has Michael Healy Ray in Kerry, and that it's time now to look at road structures, the dangerous junctions, the lack of signage and warnings as other factors in road deaths. Absolutely, uh, John Paul. You know, a lot of people concentrate, uh, especially when people, you know, lose their life on the road. And we, you know, in the past uh, couple of weeks, it's been horrific to say. They have no doubt it has been. And we, you know, listen to the ceremonies of these people that passed away. And it's just, it's just very, very difficult for the families. And I pass on great sympathies to any family that loses a loved one on the road. But it's not always speed, and and, and speed is a factor. So by denying that, but it's not always speed. Uh, John Paul, uh, and especially in the roads that I know of, uh, in particular the roads here in, in, in West Cork, the road structure is shocking, absolutely and utterly shocking. And when you're travelling on a road and you're trying to go about your daily business and you're travelling on a road, that should take you for me to be in, in we'll say, one hour, uh, and, and it's taking you almost two hours, there's something majorly wrong with the structures of your road. And, and and the vision uh, that our, our, our government or our country has on doing a, keeping rural roads at a proper standard and moving them with the times. And I just picked the in 71 in West Cork um, and, and, and the only improvements other than a pothole repair I've seen to that road is the, is the Skibbereen Bypass and that's 20-something years ago. So, uh, I, you know, sometimes I travel on a road and it takes me 45 minutes, a 15, 20-minute journey and that's a savage amount of frustration built up by a person that's trying to go. The legal limit is 100. And uh, one day I was 54, as much as I could get in 45 minutes, 54 kilometres an hour. And you can imagine there was great frustration in me because I was held behind tractors. I was held behind lorries and they're, they're entitled to be on the road. 
but there is a savage frustration that there isn't passing bees and and um, you know or, or relief roads all of them that were you know always promised but never delivered and it leads to a, a, a situation where people do end up speeding when they shouldn't end up speeding because they're trying to pass something or trying to make up the time that they lost somewhere along the line so our road structure is we have to concentrate our efforts and our funding on road structures in rural parts of the communities which would help considerably in relation to car accidents in this country. And looking at the areas of late where the accidents have occurred, there is urban areas but also a lot of rural areas and you would be correct in saying the N71, you can see the frustration of drivers if you can't pass out a vehicle uh, because there's nowhere to pass out. It does build up, then people overtake where they should not overtake and that is where the accidents can happen. Um, uh, lists of texts coming in here from people saying the same regarding the N71 but also the Cork to Mallow Road and the North Ring in the city where another accident again occurred this morning. I mean, the talk of more penalty points, uh, Michael, will that help things? For example, what do you make of the current situation whereby if, if you were speeding and you're on the phone, you'd only get done uh, for the higher offence. For example, it could be speeding in this case, but you won't get done for being on the phone. I mean, does that need to be looked at though as well? Well, you know, in relation to fines, I, I I don't always agree that that's the right way to go around things because that's only a tax take for the government. Uh, so, like, well, the fines are there. Uh, I suppose the laws need to be applied, yes, number one. But number two, we need to focus back on on, on maybe educating uh, our young people. We need to look at our education system and how we deal with motoring. We have 2.2 million uh, vehicles on the road, whether that's cars, tractors, lorries, whatever. That's in the Irish roads as it is. So there's a huge amount of traffic in Irish roads. Uh, and, and our, you know, I suppose we come from a, a time when there was probably um, one point something million, maybe maybe seven or eight years ago. But the roads have never changed. And and I need, and I also believe, uh, John Paul, that they need to go back to the education system and that we need to build in the, in the curriculum with, in, inside the schools on road traffic, on roads, on, on, on teaching young people, uh, the, 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 uh, you know, guiding them in the right direction. Because young people are great, young, they're great kids, and 99.9% of them don't break the law at all in relation to driving, but some do. Uh, and education is the, is the way forward here. It's a huge issue because every young person, almost 99% of young people that I know want to drive or will drive a car. And the education system is not is not catering for that at this present time in any great way going forward. It should nearly be part of your exams going forward and it's built into the system. So you educate people from a very young age about the dangers and the and the and the, and the safety of a road, you know. And um, you know that something will help. You know, people are under savage pressure, like uh, bring it into the fourth year, maybe year transition year in secondary school, where people do learn about where they want to go in life, work wise. Uh, so use it in, in in that year. Some people feel that year can be a waste. I wouldn't agree with that, but it could be used in a transition year. Show you how to change a wheel of a, a tire of a car, uh, how you change the oil, all those basic things, but also how to drive. Absolutely, and and it's the 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 best thing you could ever do for a child is to educate them. My God, we educate them on so many so many fronts, and which are also important. But this is a this is an opportunity uh, that the young people need, um, uh, and and our government needs to grab is to, is to educate children in the school on to, uh, about driving, about driving heavy vehicles because there's young people in tractors, about driving their cars and driving them carefully and safe safely. In fairness, as I said, ninety nine percent of them do, but also there's always one uh, person that you know when they get into a car they think it's a, it's 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 like an old gun they can just do so much with it uh, but sadly that could turn into a tragedy and you know young people are, are finding 
is so difficult, John Paul, you know, they, they don't have a public proper public transport service here. I have a lot of young people now looking for school tickets and it means more traffic on the road because their parents are on the road day and night because they can't get them a school bus ticket. The, uh, young people desperately, desperately looking for driving tests. All the pressure is on young people and we need to help young people too and not point the finger at young people because every one of us, including myself, we make mistakes on the road and we do things wrong on the road that we shouldn't do and to, to be wrong on me and, and, and uh, for me to come on the radio saying that I never done anything wrong I have I have made mistakes but um, and, and thankfully you know nobody got hurt by it, but I try to learn by my mistakes but like when I when I've been in Clannacilty this morning and I try to take a roundabout and you go inside the back of your car goes into a hole when I'm coming uh, passing Spar of Skibbereen uh, today the road outside there somebody told me the other day they broke a wheel on it that's the problem that's where we need to be focusing instead of putting fines and extra penalty fines to punish the ordinary uh, person uh, that, uh, problem, because most of them are done within the 50 kilometre zone and, yeah, and they might be doing 52 or 53 instead of going after them go away and spend money on our roads and proper structures on our roads and then once that's in place um, and carry out the, the, the rigours of the law on the people who break the rules because a lot of them won't ever break a rule because they'll be happy going along on a safe road and the road network, which many of them are not up for standards today to deal with the level of traffic. I mean, you mentioned there about uh, people who have to drive to school. Uh, we also have those who are now living out or from our city areas or people maybe from Clonakilty or from Malawak and Turk who have to drive to the city because employment has changed from where before you may have been lucky enough to get a job in your local town. You now have to travel to a business park or a city somewhere on the road. But those roads were not built for the traffic. So, for example, uh, the amount of people who were travelling via Nada liar in the North Cork area mornings that road wasn't meant for that level of traffic and either was the N71 so uh, I mean we look at the money given to Cork by way of road funding it's clearly not enough but how do we improve that when we've debated that for years and that will lead to better road safety Well the companies uh, have a, a rethink as to how they're spending money to be quite honest with you, uh, what I can't believe is I stay above in Dublin when I'm in the Dáil three days a week, John Paul, and I see them tarring roads that are absolutely perfect. My God, wouldn't we love to have some of the roads? And they're re-tarring them. But the money isn't spent in, in, in Paris. I mean, we can only talk about County Cork. It's not being spent here. And we know that because the council have been pleading with the government to give extra money. But it's 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 not this pittance of pothole repair. Like, I mean... I was on the N71 uh, three weeks ago last Saturday. I was held up for 22 minutes on a, on a, on a, for there was some road, and there was an accident some week previous or whatever. But, like, everything is done so slow. Um, roads not, not reopened for weeks, and it's frustrating motorists. And if you frustrate somebody, you know what, what, what happens sometimes. They take that frustration because they have to make up that time somewhere. So, so I was blocked for 22 minutes on, a, on one road waiting for the, for lights to uh, open. And obviously it was a tourist, it was a tourist time, so there was a lot of traffic on the road. But 22 minutes stopped. That's a crazy situation to find myself in on a road to West Cork. And that's the situation I find if I'm if I'm not stopped and travelling along at 50, 60 miles an hour, when I could be doing 100, and 100 is very safe. And, you know, we have changed, and you're, you're right, you know, the road structures have changed as people coming up from my own town, uh, uh, or my nearest town, Skull, uh, to work in Cork every day, because they, they, they can commute, they can do it, but, like, that wasn't happening uh, 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, and, and those roads you mentioned, they weren't built for the traffic that, that we have on them. Now, very finally, Michael, before we let you go, just a number of questions in from listeners, and Maggie was in touch with us earlier uh, regarding restricting speed on cars. Would you agree with that? And you buy a car, but the car can only go, for example, 60k max or 80k max? 
well, that would depend on the on, on maybe the maturity of the person that's driving. So maybe you know someone on a a provisional license, maybe that situation could uh, be applied. A lot of young people ain't got to be very happy with me this morning saying that, but uh, that could be looked at in fairness. You know, if you put a sixty kilometre limit on 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 an adult that's driving for twenty thirty years, you know, I mean, I, I remember driving a Datsun one hundred. Not many people know about a Datsun one hundred. And I, I was driving 40 miles an hour, and I certainly thought I was driving 100. But they were great, and they were, to me, they were stronger cars at the time. Uh, cars uh, are built uh, to drive faster now, and they're 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 very easily uh, folded in an accident situation. So you know, I, I'm going back to our road structure, John Paul. We 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 it hasn't improved in 20, 30 years in West Cork, and I presume in other parts of Cork County it's the same story. And if they're not going to spend money on our roads we're going to have accidents, unfortunately, occurring continuously. And just two more questions in from listeners, and I presume you don't agree with people who are on their mobile phones. Can anything done about that? As a listener from Bantry, what's your view about people driving and, and texting and scrolling on their mobile phones? Yeah, sure, look, it's, it's a common occurrence. There's no point in saying it doesn't. It's illegal. Um, and, and, and look, um, uh, I suppose it should be a lie again if, if I said I didn't do it myself because I had an earpiece the other day. I paid 120 quid for it. It gave trouble and the frustration I had with that to try and get that going and mean phone calls flying in and out and I can't take them when I'm driving. Uh, you know, it's, it's very difficult. You can't pull up on the side of the road the whole time and take calls, but people people can't. Uh, it's, it's against the law and the law must be applied. And finally, can you do anything, says a listener here, regarding donuts? You're on about road safety, says the one person. What can be done with those people who are doing the so-called donuts in many rural roads? Surely they need to learn and that needs to be stamped out. That, that definitely can be contributed to young people and yet there's no doubt about it and that's t- a terrible wrong and I look to be quite honest with you John Ball and I won't name who I confronted quite a lot of myself uh, because I use a bloody noggin and get get off the road and, get, and drive that car properly I've, I've confronted people myself in my own local community because I used to hear it and see it and I came up to them stopped them on the roadside several times because it's quite dangerous mm. there's adjustments have to be done in the car uh, to make sure that they can do all these donuts, which is highly dangerous, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and it's very, very hard. You know, it can be pointy on the, the all the law must be applied because how can the guard know what crossroads these young people are going to go to and carry out these donuts? And uh, it's just education again. Education it comes back to I think that these young people, and it's, as I say, it's only a small number, but they're there. And they're causing this mess and just carry on, just blackguarding, uh, and and that must be stamped out. And they know that they know they're doing wrong. And then lots of them, I've seen it, John Paul. They they're quite wild at eighteen, nineteen, twenty, and they're the loveliest drivers today. If you meet them, twenty four, twenty five years of age, and the grandest people and the most safest people on the road. But unfortunately, there's a little streak there of of wildness that young people tend to think that they must must get out of their system, and they're kicking out in the car. And that has to stop. Okay, education is key. You feel a lot of people agree regarding the roads. They feel once you leave Cork, the roads get better and there's a lot more motorways outside of Cork and a lot more texts and WhatsApps, which I will get back to on the programme on this issue. For the moment, I must leave it there. But thanks for joining us this morning. That is Cork South West Deputy uh, Michael Collins. Your views are welcome. And as, as I said, a lot in. And I will get back to those comments on uh, road safety issues. But on the way next, we're going to go from road safety to illegal dumping and how that could change as new measures now are going to be brought into Canada. 
catch illegal dumpers as CCTV cameras can be used legally uh, for the first time. And we'll be joined next by Senator Malcolm Byrne on this. We have discussed many times on the show the issue of illegal dumping and how it annoys so many people with one of the solutions being CCTV. It seems local authorities will soon be able to use drone-mounted cameras to identify illegal dumpers. And Fianna Fáil Senator Malcolm Byrne joins me on this. Good morning to you, Malcolm. Good morning and good morning to your listeners. This is a new code of practice which is being drafted to allow city and county councils use a range of recording equipment such as cameras and drones to catch those illegal dumpers. Yes, and it's something that I know that a lot of uh, local councillors in Cork and right around the country, uh, as well as tidy towns groups and development associations, have been looking for for quite some time. Uh, it's it's not impossible at the moment for local authorities to use CCTV and drones and other technologies uh, to try to to catch dumpers. Uh, but they need to be very careful that they don't fall foul of data protection rules. And there have been instances of a number of local authorities, particularly where they use CCTV, where they didn't have some of the necessary safeguards in place. And that meant that the Data Protection Commissioner uh, had to take a case against them. And I brought forward legislation uh, two years ago to uh, try to address this problem. Uh, I knew it was quite serious. I had surveyed local authorities right around the country and discovered uh, that the combined total for all our city and county councils around the country dealing with uh, litter, illegal dumping, uh, dumping of, of waste, including commercial waste, uh, amounted to something of the order of between 90 and 100 million every year. So there was a very big financial cost, as well as the obvious environmental cost. Uh, the government folded the legislation into the Circular Economy Act, uh, which was enacted last year. And what's been happening over the last number of months is that the Local Government Management Association, which represents all the city and county councils around the country, it's been engaged in negotiations with the Data Protection Commissioner and so on, so that there is a code for each council, so for Cork City Council, Cork County Council, and for all other local authorities, uh, that they can have a code uh, that they can roll out the use of particularly CCTVs, but potentially other technologies like drones and body cams as well, uh, to be able to catch these dumpers and to make sure that the safeguards are in place uh, under uh, GDPR requirements. Yeah, because many of the councils you mentioned did and used the CCTV in the past to bring sites to a popular spot where cameras would be spotted over uh, the actual recycling centre. Uh, but the data protection laws that did then come into this country, they resulted in this being prevented. And those that were prosecuted were also using CCTV and data protection as a way of realising that they could get around the law that way. So this will stop all of that once this goes through. It, it, it will. It's to have the necessary safeguards in place. Now, look, data protection laws are, are there for very good reason. I mean, what we don't want to see introduced, uh, you know, in, in, into Cork City or into towns like Mallow or Middleton, kind of CCTV that's engaged in surveillance, that's following everybody's move all of the time. Um, what we do want, though, is to be able to use new technologies uh, that where people are engaging in, in criminal acts, uh, that we can use the evidence that's gathered for that uh, toward prosecution. So what these codes, uh, they're due to be finalised uh, in the next few weeks. They will then be circulated to every local authority in the country. So Cork City Council, Cork County Council will get the codes. 
uh, the members will then adopt it. What is critical then is that there's training for the staff that are going to use these so that they have the safeguards in place, that they'll know, you know what information uh, needs, to be, uh, needs to be put out there uh, and how to ensure going about getting a prosecution. Um, I've been urging government uh, to ensure that local authorities are adequately resourced so that they will be able to have CCTV and other equipment to be able to tackle uh, some of these dumpers because we know it's the small minority who do enormous damage uh, to uh, our town, cities and indeed rural areas. And uh, I'm hoping that by early next year we'll be in a situation whereby we will start to see people being caught and prosecutions and fines uh, and, and being frank for repeat offenders uh, for these environmental crimes I believe they deserve to be imprisoned. And while you mentioned there, the staff will be trained up and everything put in place safeguard-wise. If someone then is caught on CCTV, how would it work then to prosecute them? How do you go identifying that person and how does that all work? Well, it's, it's, there, there can be a variety of ways, but it's no different to where, you know, in, in a lot of towns and cities, there's CCTV in place. There is a data uh, control officer uh, within the local authority. Um, generally, you, you're talking about, you know, the Gardaí will have to go and say, right, we want to access uh, the recording that was on uh, the, the CCTV because of a, a crime that may have been committed. And if there's evidence there, we, we will use that. Uh, and similarly here, that if, let's say, there's a known litter black spot and... Um, Cork County Council puts up a sign and says, you know, we have CCTV in this area to catch illegal dumpers. And if then, you know, there's evidence of dumping that's happened, uh, the uh, evidence from the CCTV can be gathered, the, the data can be gathered, and it can be used for the purposes of, of prosecution. Um, Similarly, I don't think we'll, we'll be looking at drones in, in urban areas, but certainly in large rural areas uh, to be able to track um, potential dumpers. And I think even body cams for the environmental officers uh, for local authorities should be considered. Uh, I think anything, you know, it has to be proportionate, um, but I think the legislation and the codes that are there uh, will be in place. And I think if you talk to, you know, most of your listeners, uh, you know, while they, they would certainly not favour the idea of, of wide scale surveillance, um, they certainly do want to see new technology used to be able to catch these people uh, who are causing huge damage in rural and urban areas. If an environmental officer then can go ahead and prosecute, do we need more of those officers, not only here in Cork, but across the country for this to work as a whole? Well, I, I think every local authority, you know, my experience certainly is, is that local authority environment sections are very good and they are quite committed to try to catch uh, anybody who's involved in these acts. And certainly, you know, I would encourage people if they have any information um, about illegal dumping or if they, you know, they, 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 they know when somebody is doing it on a regular basis because the, the evidence tends to be that the people involved will tend to be persistent offenders. Give the information to the environmental section of, of your local authority. Um, I, I, I certainly think, I mean, the, the more staff, the more resources that are there to be able to catch uh, the people who are involved. I mentioned the financial costs, the environmental costs are huge, particularly if you think about, you know, if white goods, if somebody dumps, you know, an old fridge or, you know, electrical equipment, if some of that leaks into the soil, it has the potential to cause huge damage. Um, if animals or livestock get anywhere near stuff that's dumped, uh, in some cases it can be fatal, but it can certainly do damage uh, to animals. So so this is just a, a disgusting habit. We've, we've got to stamp it out. Um, there's a small number of individuals who have no sense of pride uh, and I think it's only right that we equip local authorities um, 
with the right codes and the right safeguards, but to use new technologies uh, to be able to catch these people. And mentioning the councils there, a lot of councils have privatised their refuse collection over the years. And when we said we were going discussing this on the show this morning, something that always comes up from listeners is the fact that has the privatisation of refuse collections led to an increase over the years of this illegal dumping because people simply cannot afford to pay now for what they see in the prices over the years? Well, I, I, I don't know is, is the honest answer to that, whether the evidence is, uh, is, is there, whether if you took it back into, you know, entirely into public ownership. Um, the reality is dis- waste disposal has to be paid for some, somehow. So whether it's a, you know, a public contractor that does it or a private contractor, it has to, do, you know, it has to be done. Uh, as you know, local authorities have excellent recycling centers right around the country. And what often amazes me is as to why especially in rural areas somebody would drive out uh, a rural road uh, to dump their rubbish when it would probably be cheaper uh, given uh, fuel costs at the moment to actually go to the recycling center uh, and properly dispose of their waste Um, but but this is about um, you know this is really about people's civic pride Uh, it's just disgusting what people are doing and yes we can have a debate around you know the most effective systems of waste management and recycling and yes it does cost money to provide those services um but here we're dealing with people who are just involved in dumping and and frankly there is no excuse for dumping or littering and then in areas where we don't currently have cameras i know some areas have the cameras but they're not operating until until this law uh, and these guidelines come in but in areas where their cameras are going to be put up new cameras who will fund these uh, well, well, this is, as I said, what I'm hoping is through the Department of the Environment that there will be additional resources made available uh, to low. Uh, I would hope that in due course, um, that by using this technology and that, that, that we have a concerted campaign and that we also have an educational campaign about the importance of properly disposing of our waste, uh, that in due course, we won't need these, um, that there, you know, there will be a change in culture and that the small minority of people uh, who engage in these environmental crimes uh, will cop on and stop. Um, now, unfortunately, uh, we know that's, uh, you know, that may not always be the case. Um, but I'm I'm certainly convinced that if we can get a couple of prosecutions, that if we can use the evidence that's gathered uh, from CCTV and so on, that the safeguards are in place, that it can't be challenged in court. Uh, I think if the message goes out very clear, clearly that if you uh, if you engage in this type of behaviour, uh, you will be caught, you will be prosecuted, you will be fined, and you will be imprisoned. And you mentioned Tuddy Towns earlier. A lot of those listening involved in Tuddy Towns are welcoming this news, and as everything has been put through now, wait. When can we see the technology in use? When will all this come into play? Technically, um, the the local authorities can use it, but just the concerns around making sure they have the necessary data protection Mm -hmm. systems in place. I mean, what I've been saying is, and I know I've been chatting to quite a number of councillors in in Cork and right across the country, um, is to make sure your local authority is ready. Um, These codes are are being finalised. The codes will have to be adopted by the councils uh, sometime in the coming months. Um, but work on the basis they're going to be adopted, work on the basis that you will need the CCTV and start to identify uh, the areas where you want to target um, to uh, to deal with this. Uh, and I know, I mean, everybody knows the tremendous work that, that Tidy Towns Groups and Development Associations do in keeping our areas clean. And it, it's, you know, it's just heartbreaking when you've gone to the, the trouble of cleaning up an area uh, and then just somebody recklessly comes along and dumps something in it.
Yeah, true. And the great work of uh, volunteers can be ruined by just one or two people in certain areas. For the moment, it's good news that this is coming about, Malcolm. And thanks for joining us this morning on the programme. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you. That is Senator Malcolm Byrne uh, joining us on that news where now illegal dumping will be dealt with by CCTV cameras as they are bringing in new measures where it's going to be illegal now for councils and other groups to use CCTV before they could not do uh, this due to data protection laws that they are working around that now. Somebody here asking me, are they going to put cameras in the woods around the country roads? CCTV is breaking data protection. Well, no, as uh, Senator Byrne just outlined there, they are working uh, with those in data protection to get around that they have done so so they won't be breaking any data protection laws anymore uh, while they are trying to catch illegal dumpers and they can use drones over wooded areas now if they're going to catch people or not is another thing I'd imagine first of all we'll see these cameras at bring sites at certain hotspots for dumping and at times maybe if there is someone watching uh, wooded areas they may uh, have uh, drones flying over at certain stages but whether they catch someone or not is, is, a, is a good question regarding wooded areas but certainly on, on hotspots they will have CCTV and that will hopefully reduce the amount of illegal dumping and I'm sure many involved in tidy town groups and indeed uh, the councillors themselves would welcome uh, this developments and, and it will be as many people are saying they don't agree with this that it is breaking data protection what they have worked around that so they won't be breaking that law anymore. Anyhow your views are welcome on that and we have an amount of calls and comments in regarding road safety and I'll get to all of those after C103 News at 11 you can email us across the show also Cork Today at C103.ie It's Cork Today JP with you Lines open 0818 103 103 you can text or WhatsApp 0862103 103 ahead. We're going to be looking at how the cost of living pressures are making people cut out sporting activities. We'll speak with Sports Ireland very shortly on that. But a number of comments in on what we started the show with this morning and this is National Slowdown Day and what has been considered to be done to reduce uh, road deaths across the country. Looking at introducing different types of uh, speed limits, urban speed limits would reduce and also looking at our penalty point system but the majority of people feel uh, that and they agree some do with the rural independent group of TDs we spoke with Cork South West Michael Collins earlier this morning and we need to look they feel at our road network as well we need to educate our young people and are our roads today able to cope with the traffic that are on the roads they were never built for that type of traffic and that is also a factor they feel uh, when it comes to road safety and they're encouraging the road safety authority to look at these factors and not just look at the stats and look at the usual uh, system of penalty points uh, and uh, reducing speed limits in urban areas that there is more factors to play other than those with a lot of commentary and first of all Maggie was uh, this morning first with her idea of reducing and putting in a restrictor on cars so then uh, this would make people drive towards the speed limit and a number of people agree. This person says yes I agree with Maggie regarding car speed restrictors only enabling to reach speeds within the speed limit. Currently cars can be driven at over 200k which is daft when such speeds are illegal. It's like giving a young person open access to a huge funds in a bank account but telling them to keep 
to a low spin. Maggie is right. Make speeding impossible, says a person on WhatsApp. While John is in Kenturk, he says putting limiters on vehicles would cause more accidents when people are trying to overtake. John has a friend who lives in Switzerland. He broke the speed limit there and he got a fine on the spot of 2,000 Swiss francs uh, and they then would take his car away. He had to produce his driving licence and if he didn't have that, he would have got another fine of 600 Swiss francs. So the roads are in bad enough condition here in Cork and also John in Cantark is making the point that Cork County Council don't have enough funding for most of the roads we have in Cork but should we get more real on fines and find people on the spot and have high fines in the thousands that deter people uh, to slow down on our road networks. Also a lot of people, somebody else saying fit a speed limiter in the car like they do with trucks that that would work. While Pat is in North Cork, uh, Pat's making the point, uh, this is when the schools went back. Pat says, on driving on the roads over the last week or so, uh, since the uh, children went back to school, uh, parents who were driving uh, students to school, first of all, he says, kids not wearing seatbelts. Number two, Pat says, are parents on mobile phones while driving. And number three is small dogs up on the driver's laps while driving. And that's only going to school. I blew the horn at one parent on Friday morning last and all I got was the two fingers, says Pat. If Gardi were on duty and if they doubled the fines for the above, that would be a good start, says Pat in the North Cork area. And Claire says, regarding mobile phones and the voice note we had earlier from a person who feels too many people are on their mobile phones while driving and that is the cause of accidents. Claire agrees. She says, the state of our roads, speed and indeed mobile phones, they are the three causes of accidents in this country. They need to enforce the laws they already have. There is an enormous amount of funding for roads available. However, Claire feels Eamon Ryan won't spend it as it goes against his green agenda, says Claire on WhatsApp. While another person here says that this is somebody living in the West Cork area. Why had they decided to have National Slow Down Day on a Monday when most cars are parked outside workplaces or at home and not spinning around our countryside like yesterday. It should be done on a Saturday or a Sunday when the roads are at their busiest. There's a 60 miles per hour uh, which would that be in kilometres is there 80 uh, at his uh, local village and it's a long t- oh that'd be 100k wouldn't it 60 is 100k. Anyhow this is the speed going into uh, his local village and it's a long time since any car was speeding at that speed going through it. Uh, it's also a very long time since this person since there was a speed check at this road into the village where this person lives. It has a few junctions there and oftentimes I feel like it's your taking your life in your hands and chancing to get across the road with the speed. Cars are going in both directions. Uh, so more enforcement is what that person is calling for when it comes to speed checks and an example there of someone living in a village in West Cork and whereby you're trying to cross the village or or nearby the village, the speed in both directions and everybody breaking the speed limit, uh, says that person. Also, uh, there's a new driving phenomenon after developing in the last 12 months, which is and has the potential to cause many serious accidents, says this person. This is the impatience of drivers when coming up to a bend and a cyclist, a pedestrian, a tractor is ahead of them and they just don't have the patience to just wait till they get out to a safe place to pass. They pass out on a bend totally unknowing if something is coming towards them. I've encountered numerous incidents at this stage now and I 
slow down as I'm half expecting it to happen and that is nothing worse when you're especially on a, on a rural road when you're on the road and you're driving around a corner and next thing you see a car coming towards you at the same side and you're kind of running into the ditch yourself uh, until that car very fast uh, speeds up and just avoids you it does happen a lot and it's something that that, that is increasingly happening uh, and thank you for that and happening more so in the last uh, 12 months or two years I suppose at this stage and uh, a few more people here regarding the issue of our roadways first of all somebody saying from Clonbannon Cross to the county bounds the road is appalling but then from Killarney onwards the roads are perfect so why is that it goes back to the arguments we had earlier uh, with Cork so with West Deputy Michael Collins to do with the condition of roads in Cork and the lack of funding we get for roads in Cork uh, compared to other counties and then uh, somebody is asking and talking about agricultural machinery being driven on our roads. And this person says there used to be a condition that a maximum of six vehicles of a queue behind the tractor or whatever the agricultural vehicle was, that that vehicle would have to pull in at the first available opportunity. Uh, when there are six vehicles behind, for example, a tractor, I suppose in fairness, the majority of those who drive agricultural vehicles, they do pull in at the first opportunity. Not all do, but the majority do when they can. And a lot of that is down to the road network where there may be no place to pull in, but the majority do. But yeah, you do have a few that don't, but I, I would always say the majority would try anyhow uh, to pull in. But is that condition it's not law but is it a condition that six vehicles or more and then if there's an opportunity to do so uh, the agri-vehicle must pull in if someone knows that for sure and hi to Joe who's in Ballyvorney who says on many if not all the L or R local roads the bushes and trees they're all overgrown and they're hanging towards the road and blocking road safety signs and indeed blocking the view so how is that good for road safety Eileen is in Cove she feels anyone caught speeding that their licence should be taken for three months and if they speed again it should be taken off them for six months. Anyone who injures someone should be made go to the hospital to see the damage they have done and if they kill someone they should be taken to the morgue to see what they have done. Eileen and Cove says they should be also made go to the funeral because speeding is extremely bad where she lives in Cove and if a young person is caught stealing cars then they should never be allowed get a licence. They should be banned from driving for life. We need to get to tough on people who break the law feels Eileen and Cove. Uh, while Mary is in Fermoy, she feels that the roads are just a disgrace and around where she lives in the Fermoy, Kilworth and Glanworth areas, it's not only speeding that is causing the crashes, it is also the issue of our bad road network and somebody else when we're speaking about roads, letting people know there's a stop and go system on the main Cork to Limerick Road at the N20 at Hines Cross and the Limerick side of O'Rourke's Cross for those travelling from Cork to Limerick and vice versa. Take care if you're on that stretch of road. Uh, There is a lot more comments in regarding roads and we will get to those later in the programme. Uh, but your views are welcome. You can email us as well, Cork Today at c103.ie. And we will get back to all those uh, comments regarding uh, people's views on uh, the issue of penalty points. Should they be changed on the issue of our road network? Does it need to be uh, properly funded now, given the amount of road debts on our roads? And a lot more. I promise I'll get to those later in the programme. But we have to move on uh, because there is a lot of people who take part in sports, who love sports, but because of the cost of living 
pressures. Uh, parents are finding it hard now to travel uh, and for the petrol or diesel and the car to go to all the weekend games or activities or also pay uh, monthly subs uh, to, for their child to play in a local team or attend a local gym or whatever it is. We will be discussing that next. Maybe you're affected by that. Uh, let us know. And also, if you're from the farming community, uh, something of interest for you, we're going to be discussing uh, what grants are available to farmers and indeed for housing grants as well. Uh, that's all ahead on our citizens' information slot before midday. C103 Jobs. A fresh food manager is required to run a deli, bakery and fast food counters in the Bandon Road, Bishopstown area. You can send your CV to michellehobrien at gmail.com. Shannon Vale Foods in Clonakilty require a quality control officer with a food science qualification. Email your CV to hr at shannonvalefoods.ie and an office administrator is wanted for the Kanturk area. You can email your CV to info at multisweep.com. You'll find these details and more job opportunities online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash job. Court today on C103. Cost of living pressures are leading to people cutting back on sporting activities as everyone looks at their monthly and weekly spend. Well, Ben Cullen is Sport Ireland's Director of Research and Innovation and joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Ben. Good morning, John Paul. How are you doing? Thanks for having us on the show. I'm fine and thanks for joining us. I mean, we have heard here this morning from parents who have cut back on their children's activities, mainly down to the cost of purchasing equipment and that goes with a particular sport, but also travelling to games at the weekends. You know, the diesel and petrol costs are on the rise. They're watching that. Everything is adding up at the moment and it's a shame to think that sport is losing out. Um, Indeed, John Paul, it is. Yeah, and so the... The, really, the, the reason we have a deep understanding of this is because of some uh, research that we released last Wednesday. These are two of the most comprehensive studies into sport and physical activity across the island of Ireland. Um, really, they gave us a snapshot of what life was like in 2022, the in terms of sports participation, but also club membership, volunteering, spectating, attending sporting events. And part of that challenge in 2022, as we emerged from the disruptions of the pandemic, was, you know, the cost of living crisis that everybody, all of your listeners, will be very familiar with. So really important for us to have captured some data and tried to get an understanding of how this might be impacting on people's experience of sport, and then obviously developing policy responses where we can to try and act against that. So um, sporting expenditure is, you know, it, it's, it's, it's quite large for families in Ireland. We, you know, our research would show that people spend about 1,500 euros a year on their sport. Um, and that about one in five, 20% of them are making cutbacks or expecting to make cutbacks because of the cost of living crisis. Now, a lot of those cutbacks are in the more, what we'd call the social dimensions of sport. People saying, look, we're going to cut back on maybe attending events. Maybe we're going to cancel some memberships, possibly because they weren't using them as much. But certainly we do see a small number of people talking about cutting back and, you know, spending less on sporting equipment. And that's the bit that worries us because it means maybe they're considering participating a little bit less in sport, which is one of our key policy objectives. And so we have a couple of big initiatives in place to try and respond to that. We uh, we have a lot of dormant account funds that we roll out through a network of local sports partnerships, national governing bodies of sport. They help to subsidise access to activity, especially in communities at disadvantage. Great initiative called Community Sports Hubs that can help get people out. We have a volunteer support fund which helps to subsidise access to coaching programmes and code of ethics and safeguarding programs and, and the likes. And then we've just landed funding this year from the European Union Social Fund as well, 
targeting those groups at disadvantage, especially youth at risk of poverty. Um, and so, you know, it's trying to put our shoulders to the wheel to acknowledge, first of all, what the research has found, the, um, and then try to create policy actions that can help to subsidise and and support people as they continue to try and live active lives. Yeah, because many people, you know, have joined gyms or joined maybe community gyms and they've had to increase their membership and the cost for the subs because of the increased cost of running a building and running a gym which has shower facilities and all of that. So you can understand from their point of view why they are increasing their cost to their members. But as you mentioned there, there's a lot of things we can do for free. And since 2019 as a nation, we've got better walking and running. And, you know, that's a positive that we are getting better as a nation for just going out in the evening and having a walk and that can cost nothing. Indeed yeah and I mean the pandemic was an incredible testament to the dedication that you know so many people across Ireland have to living active lifestyles and we've got to remember like those two years of the pandemic um, sport was closed down organised sport was closed down all the gyms were closed all the swimming pools most of the sport clubs especially indoor sports were closed for the majority of those two years and even the outdoor sports were run with very strict regulations, a lot of volunteers involved in trying to help people get through COVID protocols. And so, and so what we saw during that period was a huge shift towards exactly those kinds of sporting activities you described. Running, cycling, readily accessible, readily available, hiking, people going out into the hills. Um, and so it's trying to yeah highlight those opportunities that are perhaps lower cost, but also recognizing this huge amount of benefits to the more social dimensions of sport, taking part in sport and structured club settings or in leisure centres um, and where people want to do that, the, um, you know, trying to yeah, subsidise that access if at all possible or indeed providing support either through the, the clubs. So we did run a, a sports club energy support scheme, which was to try and help sports clubs tackle the increasing cost of energy that they were experiencing so that that wouldn't, you know, or would minimise the knock-on then to their club membership fees. And so that was a big scheme that was run last year um, in recognition of these challenges, these pressures, as you said, that a lot of sporting organisations are experiencing um, and trying to not pass on to uh, sports participants as best they can. Yeah, and many aren't, in fairness, they're holding out to the very, very last minute before they pass on those extra costs. But you can understand if they're a business that they have no choice in the end, but to pass them on. And just on the walking aspect you mentioned there, um, I was surprised to read that some that are out walking, unfortunately, seem to be harassed while doing so. That was contained in your report. Yeah, indeed. The, um, and look, this was, a, this was a key piece of research for us to do as well. The, um, and it kind of, we've got to remember in 2022, the, um, it came out after the Ashling Murphy uh, murder in, uh, along the canal. And we were really concerned. We were like, what kind of impact is this having on the population, especially amongst women? Um, and so we included a survey module, the, um, just trying to understand people's experience of verbal and physical harassment. The, um, a lot of it in, in, you know, unstructured sporting experiences where people are out walking or running, but some of it within organized sport as well. And so what we found is that 20% of men and 26% of women had an experience of physical or verbal harassment. Um, about one in 10 of those people who experience harassment, it's bad enough that they just walk away and they, they, they don't engage in that activity anymore. Um, but interestingly, in women, um, 39% of them change their behavior. The, um, so they start to do that activity or that sport in a different location or with different people, as opposed to men, where only 17% of them change their behaviour. So it's something we need to be really cautious of. Earlier this year, we released a code of conduct for sport, which kind of lists quite explicitly the kind of behaviours and attitudes that should and shouldn't be tolerated in sports settings. And really that was targeted ensuring that our clubs, and many of them are, you know, run their sports in such inclusive um, and welcoming ways. But it was 
to give those clubs who have these high aspirations a code of conduct that they could go to. If there are people who are falling outside those lines, that they can pull them up and say, look, the code of conduct does not um, support or, or does not acknowledge these kind of behaviours and, and they need to stop. And then there's a broader piece there. There's a full societal piece, you know, the people out walking and running um, across the country in public places. Um, and there's work there to be done with local authorities, ensuring that there's appropriate lighting, lighting and appropriate infrastructure, also with the Gardaí to ensure there's appropriate supervision. And one of the, the big successes we've seen, and I used to work in, in northeast inner city Dublin myself, um, is increasing footfall. The, um, that if you can get an increased footfall, that can help to improve the safety and especially the perceived safety in, the, in, in those areas. Yeah, true. If a place feels safe to walk, people will go there. But it's over to think that that actually is, is still happening, that people are being harassed when they just go out to enjoy a walk. And something else that I found interesting in your study, and this was on the children's participation uh, in sport, uh, and this was to do with girls uh, do more sport in primary school. But then there's a drop off when they move on to second level. I mean, is this to do with the academic side? There's so much more going on in secondary school with exams for junior leaving. Sir, sir. Do we know why this is? Yeah, look, we have some indications um, and really that phenomenon of, of dropout of sports participation in teenage years, especially amongst girls, um, has been recognised for a period of time now. Now, we must take this in context that, you know, teenage girls are more active than they used to be, the, um, but their primary school counterparts are also more active than they used to be. So everything's moved up, but we still have this drop off. And so there's a number of things happening there. And if there are parents or coaches or teachers out there, um, the biggest reason that children give for taking part in sport is because they think it's interesting or it's something fun to do. But almost paradoxically, it's also the biggest reason they give for dropping out. They lose interest. And really what that tells us is a story of changing interests as children move from being children in primary school into becoming adults. And a lot of that is possibly based around autonomy. And we hear that from the teenage girls. So important to give them a voice, the amount to start to give them a bit of autonomy, involve them in the decisions of the way the team or the club or whatever it might be is being run, um, and also start to give them some input in the areas that they want to focus on and maybe the areas they no longer want to focus on. The other piece is the social dimension. And again, it's especially true for teenage girls, but the second biggest reason that people give is family and friends. So this social connection is critical. And so again, for teachers and coaches, it's keeping an eye out for those friendships and bonds that are happening, supporting them, fostering them, avoiding cliques, and certainly fighting any you know indications of discrimination or exclusion, because that can permeate. So really, you know, trying to support these you know young people as they transition into adulthood, into keeping those cohesive bonds and, and, and friendships. And then the other bit is a growing motivation for fitness. The um, so championing that, you know, the um, recognizing their achievements, the um, highlighting moments of pride, the um, and maybe, you know, highlighting uh, progression rather than necessarily competitive results. The, um, so it's about how they are developing and how they are growing compared to who they used to be rather than necessarily overemphasizing their comparison to others. And we believe that that championing those successes that they have can help to keep them involved as well. And just away from the playing field, maybe, uh, I know within the report you say around 60 minutes of exercise a day is good for students. I would have thought that when it came to secondary school then that more girls and indeed boys would have either walked to school or cycled to school more so than primary. I mean, is that the case or is it actually less in secondary then? Um, it's less in secondary the, um, and it's surprising. So one, one, one surprising statistic perhaps 
um, is that active travel declined slightly between 2018 and 2022 in post-primary students. And primary students have stayed the same. Um, now, active travel comes in two forms, cycling and walking. The, um, um, and so what we see is actually the number of students, post-primary students, teenagers, cycling to school doubled between 2018 and 2022, but the number walking to school declined. The, um, and so we, we've been scratching our heads as to, you know, trying to understand maybe what's happening there. We think maybe it's related to the flexible working arrangements that we have now, the parents now have post-pandemic. Maybe it's a little bit easier to jump in the car and say to the kids, oh, I'll give you a lift down to school. Um, and I suppose if there are any parents listening, it's reminding them that, you know, the National Physical Activity Guidelines are 60 minutes every day and that active transport is a critical component of keeping kids active. And the thing to remember is, I mean, your listeners will be very conscious that there are physical and mental health benefits to being active, to being physically active. But things that are maybe less well known is that there are also academic benefits. So children who meet National Physical Activity Guidelines are more likely to do better at school. So even in exam years, keeping them active, you know, establishing a robust routine that ensures they can balance their schoolwork with their levels of physical activity. And then beyond school, we know that children who take part in the sport are physically active. Research in the UK also indicated they have better employment prospects in the long term. So they're more likely to get jobs, and when they do get jobs, they're likely to earn more money. Um, and when they dug into that, they realized that employers really recognize the benefits that people get from being active and from playing. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Sport, dedication, commitment, teamwork, all of these great skills that you can develop in a sporting environment and then carry that through to live a, a long life in terms of you know, physical and mental health and a prosperous life in terms of education and employment. Yeah, true. And I think many would agree, even if you were after a stressful day in your workplace and you just simply go for a walk, be that for 30 minutes or an hour, you do feel better after it. So there is a benefit to it. Now, I mind if you're uh, going through everything else within the uh, secondary school system. For the moment, Ben, it's a really interesting uh, information from your report. And thanks for joining us this morning. 
Thanks a lot for having us on, John Paul. Take care. That is Ben Cullen there. He is a Director of Research and Innovation with Sports Ireland. Interesting to see the findings there from their annual report, which was released. And the main thing, I suppose, is that costs are going up and people are trying to save money. Uh, if you do want to stay active, uh, like he mentioned, a walk or running, you know, that does cost nothing. If people wish to stay active and maybe cannot afford a gym or something like that at the moment, as costs are going up. Anyhow, interesting stats there from Sports Ireland. Your views are welcome. You can text or WhatsApp 086. Uh, we will be going back to the issue of our roads and conditions of our roads and what should be done for road safety. I'll get to a lot of the comments that are in after midday. Bush, a stop and go system is on the N71 at the moment, just outside Skibbereen. It's on the Skull to Ballady Hub Road and there's major tailbacks as a result. So take care if that's your journey this morning. On the way, we're going to be hearing about farmers' grants and housing grants. We'll discuss that next on our Citizens' Information segment. Court today on C103. And it's time for this month's Citizen Information segment. We're joined by Anne O'Donovan, who's Development Manager with South Munster Citizens Information Service based in Bantry. Good morning to you, Anne. Morning, John Paul. And a lot to get through on today's topic, which is farmers and housing grants. So we're going to start, first of all, by looking at farmers' entitlements. And I suppose what information and supports are available for farmers from Citizens Information? So I suppose the situation really is, John Paul, we provide information, advice and advocacy across a broad range of topics uh, for for all of the community, which includes farmers. Now, we would generally deal with any entitlements to social welfare benefits. And I suppose if we don't have the answers, we will refer you to, to the to where you can get the answers. And does a farmer then have any rights to any entitlements? Yes, they do. I mean, sometimes there's a sense there that people who are self-employed don't have any entitlements, but they are. Now, the most common payments we deal with for farmers on low incomes are farm assist and the, the rural social scheme. So, as you mentioned, farm assist there, just explain what that is and, and how it works. Now, farm assist, it's a means test of payment for farmers who are on low income. To qualify, as it says in the you must be a farmer, you must be farming land in the state, be aged between 18 and 66 and satisfy a means test. It, it's paid by the Department of Social Protection. Now, there's a similar payment as well for uh, fishermen and fisherwomen called fish assist. And I suppose to, to be considered a farmer in, in, for the farm assist, you have to be farming land that you own or you lease and you're working that land with the aim of taking produce from it. So it's not sufficient for a person simply to own a farm. They must be working it. And if someone is applying then for farm assist for the first time, what happens or how do they go about this? Okay, so they'd have to complete an application form and then when they submit that into the Department of Social Protection, uh, a social welfare inspector would generally call out to see them then and go through various documents just to verify everything that's in the application. Generally, they will want to see accounts prepared for tax purposes, creamery returns, cattle registration cards, details of headage payments and area aid, all of that kind of thing. Now, they'd also want information on the sale of crops, if cattle, milk and other produce. And then they assess those costs again, um, that are being incurred in connection with the running of the farm. So they will look at the costs of inputs like feed and fertiliser and the depreciation of farm machinery and all of that. So, so really they're looking at what the income is, the gross income, and then taking away any outgoings to look at what the actual income is. And then when you apply for it, I mean, how do you know or when do you hear back when you qualify for this, you can access pharmacists? 
Well, they'll take, like, obviously it'll take a bit of time for them to come out and do the assessment. So obviously the more information somebody has and, you know, that they can verify everything that's on the form, the quicker the decision will be made. And I suppose, look, if someone is wondering, you know, they, whether they qualify or not, generally they, we would say to contact their local citizens information centre and staff would be able to assist them with establishing their eligibility for the scheme. And also um, the IFA actually have a very useful online calculator on their website, you know, which will help someone to work out whether or not they're eligible for pharmacist as well. And then many farmers would, you know, have uh, land leased out from their farm. Do they qualify also for pharmacist? So if someone has leased part of their land, the income from the leasing is assessed in full. So, you know, they, it would be taken into consideration when assessing whether or not they, they qualify. Uh, now, if someone had leased out all of their land, they, they wouldn't be eligible for pharmacies because you have to be actively farming it yourself. And then on the pharmacist, is there any additional benefits available then to people who are in receipt of this? Yeah, like there are some additional supports which which may be available if you're getting pharmacists and they will very much depend on someone's individual circumstances. Like I suppose the kind of things I'm talking about really would be like the fuel allowance which helps the cost of heating your home during the winter, uh, a medical card, uh, the back-to-school clothing and footwear allowance if someone has dependent children or the rural social scheme. Now I suppose I would stress that someone really would check with their local CIC to see if their circumstances fit the eligibility criteria for any of those. And you just mentioned there regarding the rural social scheme. Uh, who, who is that aimed at then? Is that more for low-income farmers or how does that work? Yeah, you're you're on the ball there. Yeah, it, it's aimed at low-income farmers and fishermen or fisherwomen. Um, now, in that scheme, you get a top-up payment in return for providing services to the local community. Kind of work under the scheme really can help maintaining walking routes uh, social care and care of older people, community care for preschool and after school groups. There's various jobs that that come under that, that, that the, the rural social scheme. Yeah, and like some of these schemes, is there a limit to the amount of hours you can work on? Yeah, you well, you work 19 and a half hours per week. And I suppose the thing with the pharmacy is that those hours are based on a, or sorry, on the rural social scheme is that the hours are based on a farm-friendly schedule. So that taking part on the rural social scheme wouldn't affect someone's farming activities. Okay. And then who would qualify to go on uh, a rural social scheme? I mean, how did it deter who, who would get this and, and, and qualify yeah. for this? Yeah, again, because it's 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 aimed at, at low-income families, it, generally to qualify for the rural social scheme, you'd have to be getting pharmacist or someone could be actively farming and getting another social welfare payment, maybe such as job seekers allowance or disability allowance. So, but someone has to prove that they're actively farming um, so that, you know, they might, they would have to provide um, a valid herd number or, you know, show confirmation of their application for the basic payment schemes for the current year. So you, so it is very much linked. You have to be linked to farming. And if you're eligible yourself, the farmer is eligible, but maybe they didn't wish to participate in the scheme, their dependent spouse or partner can take the available space. So, you know, it could be a spouse that takes up the space. Also, in certain circumstances, if somebody's a child or a sibling of a herd number owner and they can certify that they're resident and working on the farm and getting one of the qualifying social welfare payments, they may be eligible to participate in the scheme as well. So there's a few different ways of being able to qualify. And while we mentioned there regarding pharmacists and the rural social scheme, uh, for a person who is farming, have they any entitlement then to any other social welfare payments? Well, if someone is like a farmer is self-employed and 
usually they would be paying Class S PRSI. So they would have an entitlement to any of the benefits that go with that Class S self-employed PRSI contribution. So I'm talking about things really like maternity benefits, uh, adoptive benefits, paternity benefit, um, widows or widowers contributory pension, the state pension, treatment benefit, invalidity pension. There's a range of those schemes that are linked uh, and again, if someone would like to check their eligibility for any of those benefits, speak with their local CIC and, and they'll go through it with you. OK, and, and there's a lot of information there. So indeed, you can contact your local uh, Citizens Information Office for further details there. And also today, Anne, we're going to look briefly at housing grants that, that may be available to carry out improvements or indeed renovations. We've heard this morning of people looking for extra when it comes to housing. So I suppose with the cost of living at the moment, what is available to people? There are, uh, I suppose, there are quite a few options available. Now, again, they depend very much on individual circumstances. So, and I suppose it's important that anybody applying, thinking about applying for any kind of grants, are aware that whatever grant you're applying for, the grant must be approved before any work begins. So if, if you've started work, there's no point looking for the grant then. You have to wait until you get grant approval before you apply, before you start any work. Yeah, that is the big thing. We've got a lot of calls from people who don't wait and I suppose that they may yeah. be waiting for a while and they become impatient. They start the work and then they ring back to say they won't give us the grant now because we started the work. So just be be very aware of that. Yeah, and absolutely. Yeah. Then with the current housing crisis we have, some people uh, may be considering refurbishing a, an old vacant house, for example. What is the criteria to be eligible then for the vacant property refurbishment grant that's out there? Yeah, now this grant, uh, it provides funding. So again, you can you can refurbish vacant and derelict homes. So you can get the grant if you are uh, refurbishing a vacant property so you can live in it, or you can, you can also get a grant if you're refurbishing it to rent it out. Um, you can get a grant of up to 50,000 to renovate a vacant property and up to 70,000 if the property is derelict. Uh, it's, you apply to your local authority for it, to, to be Cork County Council. Um, and I suppose since the 1st of July this year, if you're living on an offshore island, you can get up to 84,000 to renovate a derelict building or up to 60,000 for a vacant property. That's if you're on an offshore island. Okay. And if you didn't want to qualify for this grant, I mean, what are the conditions to qualify for the vacant property refurbishment grant? So the property must have been vacant for two years or more. Now, you won't qualify if the property has been left unreasonably or purposefully vacant so you can get the grant. So um, the house or the property must have been built before 2008 and you must own the property or be in the process of buying it. And I suppose, again, just to be aware, you won't qualify if you're a registered company or a developer. Now, the other key thing to remember is that when the work is completed, you must live in the property as your principal private residence or alternatively make it available for rent. And if you're going to rent the property when the work is done, you must register the tenancy with the Residential Tenancy Board. And of course, like a lot of grants, you must also have tax clearance from revenue and your tax affairs must be in order, including the local property tax if applicable. And the other thing about this grant, actually, you can actually get the grant twice. You can get one grant to refurbish a home to live in and another for a home you're going to rent out. So, you know. Oh, I didn't realise that. So it is open to yeah. get that twice. Yeah, oh. and that's the maximum you can get it. So okay. once to refurbish a house to live in and a second time if you had another house that you wanted to refurbish and rent out. You can go again for the grant to get it. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, that's good to know. Um, and this is something that I think people will be interested in because we're very much aware of the rising electricity and heating costs. So everybody's looking to improve their energy within the home and making their home more efficient. So can you outline the grants that are available for this? I know we've touched on this before uh, with Sustainable Energy Ireland. Uh, there is a lot out there. Yeah, yeah. So there are a range of grants, and yes, uh, all administered by Sustainable Energy um, Authority of Ireland. And like, there's a solar electricity grant which provides a once-off grant towards the purchase and installation of solar panels for your home. Um, you must apply for the grant and receive a grant offer from the Sustainable Energy Ireland before you get your solar panels and start any work. Um, there's also the Better Energy Home Scheme. Now, that's a scheme for homeowners and landlords who want to do certain energy upgrades, such as things like attic insulation, cavity wall insulation, internal dry lining, or external wall insulation. Also, things like installing a heat pump system. And if someone wants, so you can apply for that grant, and then if you wish to manage the process yourself, um, there is the Better Energy Warmer Home Scheme, and that is a scheme which provides free energy. Uh, home energy upgrades for people on low incomes. And then there is, again, the names are very close, they're a bit confusing, but there's also the National Home Energy Upgrade Scheme. And that's for homeowners and landlords who want to bring their homes up to a bear rating of B2 or above using a private company to manage the pro- project. So there, there's the variations there in the grants. And while there's a lot of grants there, I presume like everything, you have to meet a certain criteria to qualify for those grants, Anne. Yeah, you do. And the criteria can vary depending on which grant you're going for. So again, it would be advisable to speak with your local Citizens Information Centre about the qualifying conditions for each grant. Or alternatively, you can contact Sustainable Energy Ireland for details about the grant. And their website, um, seai.ie, is a, you know, has all the information up there as well. And you touched there on solar panels. If someone is thinking of going about solar panels or erecting them, do you need planning permission for that? No, you don't need planning permission to install solar panels as long as you meet certain conditions now, which are outlined in the planning section of the uh, solar PV grant application guide. Now, if, if you have any doubt about it, though, we would always say check with your local authority just to be 100% sure. OK, and just briefly now, as we're running out of time, but we touched there on the better energy, warmer home schemes for people on low incomes. Just tell us a bit more about that and who can, I suppose, qualify for this scheme. Yeah, look, this is a very good scheme for people who are on low incomes uh, to improve the energy efficiency of their houses. Now, it prioritises the oldest and least energy efficient homes. So it covers, again, things like attic insulation, draft proofing, lagging jackets, uh, energy efficient bulbs, cavity wall insulation um, under that scheme. Now, new central heating schemes and replacement windows are also occasionally covered by the scheme. Now, now to remember, your windows will only be replaced if your walls are being insulated at the same time and the existing windows are single glazed windows. So they decide, the, the Sustainable Energy Ireland decides really if replacement windows are needed on a case-by-case basis. So the important thing about this scheme is you're not charged for the work done under the scheme and to qualify you have to own your own house and be living in it and your home must have been built and occupied before 2006 and it must have a bear rating of C, D, E, F or G 
And in addition, you must be getting a qualifying social welfare payment, such as a fuel allowance, uh, working family payment, one parent family payment, job seekers or disability allowance for over six months and have a child under seven. Um, Also, if you have carers allowance, and be living with the person you're caring for. So there's a various social welfare payments there that enable you to qualify. But if you're in receipt of the fuel allowance, that, that's a key qualifying payment as well. So again, if someone wants more information about that, just talk to us and we'll put you in the right direction. Yeah, and there is so many more grants available out there. And again, if people want to hear more, just go to citizensinformation.ie or indeed they can contact the Citizens Information offices and you'll go through with them the situation and guide them in the right direction. You can contact Mallow on 0818 078000 or Bantry on 0818078390 and of course you're open for drop-in face-to-face consultation or you can ring on the phone and again it is a free and confidential service as always Anne a mind of information thanks for all the details there thanks. and we'll be chatting again in a month and of course again everything is on your website but thanks for joining us this morning Thank you, John Paul. Take care. That is Anna Donovan there, who's a development manager with South Munster Citizens Information Service based in Bantry. If you miss anything there as well, by the way, you can always listen back on c103.ie or indeed on the C103 app. Cork today until 1JP with you and Bernie is taking your comments on 0818103103. You can text or WhatsApp 0862103103 and questions welcome on those numbers for Annalisa. All your nutritional questions will be answered by Annalisa after 12.30 today but a number of calls and comments in on the issue of road safety which we discussed earlier on in the programme and first of all, uh, while we were discussing this with Cork South West Deputy Michael Collins, he mentioned about education and educating people when it comes to driving and what should be done with a car, for example, changing a tyre, etc. Well, Alan uh, says, JP, surely we should introduce this in our schools, driving education. We are teaching more useless subjects that the kids will never use in adult life. So introduce more with driving within our schools. Education-wise, a lot of people uh, saying the same thing uh, Alan uh, thank you for your call and Patrick a very angry Patrick has uh, whatsapped us uh, regarding the issue of road safety he says another major factor in road accidents is potholes and bad road surfaces and ditches not cut and overgrown trees hanging out over the roads people can't pull in to avoid oncoming traffic and bang there's an accident there's back roads around Dunmanway Banline and Clonakilty that I travel in a van every day and it's a disaster waiting to happen. Cut the ditches is the first job. The back road over to Banana School is totally overgrown and 50 cars pass that way at school time. Then over in Channa Crane, the road is even worse. And if an ambulance or a fire brigade can't get there in an emergency, uh, then what happens? Eamon Ryan, says Patrick, and his Merry Greenmen would want to cop on and sort this out fast. A very angry Patrick in West Cork who says the National Slowdown Day, which is on today, should be every day and not just for 48 hours. And that's the reason we are discussing that earlier this morning as there's a talk of a hike in penalty points and indeed uh, more new plans under way to reduce speed in urban areas. Many people feel the Road Safety Authority and it was sparked with the Rural Independent Group. Uh, that's why we had uh, Cork South West Deputy Michael Collins joining us earlier on. They feel the need to look at other factors as well, like poor roads, like overgrown ditches, like the fact that you may have bad junctions and that could be leading to accidents and not just go in the stats all the time. Look at the other factors that are causing accidents right across the country. Uh, Charlie on behaviour on our roads says he sees people 
people overtaking on bins on our roads on a daily basis, a basis passing cars and lorries. Uh, it's just getting out in front of the cars coming against him. He says uh, he on a daily basis he sees a bad driving, and this is on rural roads where you have a, a bins on the road, and next thing. If you're coming around the corner, uh, there's a car on your side of the road just after passing out a truck. So dangerous driving on rural roads is what Charlie is raising. While Tom and Bantry, uh, Tom is uh, on about the roads in the Reenrower East uh, estate area of Bantry. He says they have been in a shocking condition for a very long time. More houses have been built and the road is sinking in places. There are no footpaths. People have had bad falls there. They have said it to the council. They have said it to elective representatives and every elective. They are promised it will be fixed, but nothing happens. It's always interesting the fact that they can build more houses uh, in these areas whereby the road is already in bad condition and indeed uh, there are no footpaths and still planning is given for more homes without having uh, the necessary infrastructure in place. That always amazes me and we've seen that a lot over the last five to ten years and why we do need homes and everybody welcomes the building of homes uh, as there's such a demand out there for housing. At the same time, you do need to have the proper uh, infrastructure in and around the home, so proper footpaths, proper roadways, uh, because what happens is, and we have seen this, and I've seen it in my own hometown abandoned, whereby new housing estates are built, the road infrastructure isn't there to cope with the traffic, and then you have young people walking home from school on back country roads that were never meant to be built for uh, housing estates or the level of traffic they have and they're walking on the side of a real rural road uh, with no footpath and the footpath may be built outside the actual estate but leading up to the estate there's no footpath uh, and that is a big problem in many rural areas so I don't know why they allow planning uh, for these houses if they're not going to put the proper infrastructure in place and it's evident to see in every town nearly across the country anyhow Tom in Bantry, thank you for your call. Jury is in Glanton on the, the issue of roads uh, and indeed road safety. When uh, Maggie was there first up this morning saying that she f- felt anyhow herself that they should put a limiter uh, within cars. So this would reduce the speed. So, for example, uh, you might have a limiter on a car where it can only go 100k or 120k and that's it and not up to 200k. Well, Jury in Glanton is against this. He says you can't put a limiter on cars as it will cause more accidents. The photo road into Cove is unsuitable for bikes and he says there are cyclists on this road every day into Cove. They hold up the traffic. Jury feels there should be signs up on certain roads saying they are not suitable for cycling as they cause major tailbacks of traffic. Marion Clonakilty, she feels the driving around Clonakilty has gone really really bad over the last number of years. She feels there are people on the road who have never taken a driving test and they are driving around these roads of ours without a driving test being taken. It's wrong. And the roads then are in a bad state, which is adding to the problems of road safety, says uh, Mary in Clonakilty. John is in Mallow. Uh, John feels the roads in rural areas are the worst uh, and that junctions are overgrown and that's why we have accidents, which was mentioned earlier on. But John feels that the Green Party don't want to spend any money on roads and things have got worse since they were in power. Uh, That's John's view in Mallow. 
Uh, also, Mary, uh, regarding the overgrown hedgerows, she says people should be fined. Landowners should be fined if hedgerows are scratching cars or damaging cars or indeed are the cause of accidents. While Michael is in Castletown Bear and he says, JP, hello, we don't need any politician to tell us that our rural roads are not fit for purpose. They are in a position, the politicians that is, to do something about it. That is why they were elected to do. But alas, they have done sweet them all about our roads, amongst other things. Rural people are sick of lip service from politicians. We have roads that were built for the common horse and cart. And then came the motor car, roughly the size of the horse and cart. But lo and behold, the motors got bigger and wider, but the roads remain static. The white line those roads and the majority of us use, uh, those of us between the white lines and indeed the grass margin, you have the SUV and the tractor. They'll fill all that. And furthermore, then, they add signage telling you to keep a metre and a half from the person on a bike who pays no tax or insurance to be on the road. Two into one doesn't go, says Michael. Politicians, Michael Fields, have left rural Ireland down big time and approves the quality of representation we elect. I think it is time we in rural Ireland arose from our slumber, says Michael in Castletown Bear on WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. And staying with roads is something that really annoys people, uh, which is happening in many of uh, towns right across Ireland and indeed in the various suburbs of Cork City as well. And this is the footpaths, which are now getting bigger and bigger. And uh, no name on this one on WhatsApp, but this person feels uh, the engineers, why are they making these decisions? They're highlighting one area and this is where they have widened footpaths on road junctions. And they have done this on the Newmarket Road out of Kenturk, going up the Crow Road, where they brought out the concrete footpath within two feet of the original white line. So they have nearly half the width of the original road. And if that wasn't bad enough, they decided to widen the path across the road. So further cutting down the room to turn off for the Crow Road. And two cars now can hardly pass there. And the contractor then, there's obviously lorries who use that road uh, quite a lot. They're having a difficulty negotiating the turn now because it's it's got so narrow. They're swinging up from the new market side. So it's obviously in the future going to cause an accident from both pedestrians and indeed from both road users who cannot use the road because it's got so narrow. Now you have truck drivers who have to negotiate these sharp bins making their life tougher. And that's a good point because they have no choice but to go into a particular town to do deliveries. So... If everything narrows up and there's no way around this for them, they'll still have to go and drive down that street, even if it is uh, getting narrower and narrower by the day uh, because of those expanding footpaths. Thank you for your WhatsApp. Tim is in Toker. Uh, he is saying, uh, with reference to road accidents, it's quite blatant to Tim. It's a combination of a number of factors relating to the cause of accidents on our roads. And these include speeding, using more technology, uh, people in general being reckless, inexperienced drivers combine that with a fast car and it's a recipe for disaster, says Tim and Toker. Human nature is what it is. If you give someone a fast car, they will drive a fast car. In my opinion, says Tim, we need to put a fix in vehicles to slow down driving 
drivers. And when Michael Collins, the Cork South West deputy, was speaking earlier, Tim feels he is talking rubbish. If you improve the roads, all you are doing is creating a fast track for speed merchants and the situation will get worse. That says Tim tuned to us in Toker on text to 0862103103. Heidi feels that there's just too much traffic on the roads and that the roads are inadequate at the moment for the amount of cars, trucks uh, that are on them and we're not getting enough money here in Cork and that is one of the reasons then lives are lost because of the government not maintaining the roads in Cork and not giving the money uh, to the local councils. And then an interesting take here, this is someone who thinks that driving instructors are too easy on young drivers. They pass their first time taking the test uh, when they're taking over the road then, they're on the road. This person says uh, they drove for 30 years before they went to England. They came home to find they had to do lessons again and they did the tests and they were failed twice. Uh, This person is 64 years of age and had not one accident uh, since starting to drive but they feel today uh, that those who were going for their tests I don't know if the majority pass or not first time but some do I suppose uh, and they feel they're too easy on younger drivers. Not too sure if everybody would agree with that. I don't know many that passed first time, second maybe or third Uh, some are lucky passing first time but not everybody passes first time. Anyhow thank you for your WhatsApp on that Uh, and also just the final few tests on this. Margaret, first of all, is in Tallow. Uh, I don't know if anybody else feels this. She feels only within the last number of years, if you were driving on a road and there is a, uh, an overtaking lane on that stretch of road, she feels when you go to pass out a driver that may be doing slower than the speed limit or slower than the, than the norm on that particular stretch of road, when you pass them out, They didn't put up speed, says Margaret in Tallow. That is causing the person overtaking them uh, to increase their speed. And then that could lead to an accident. Why don't they remain at the speed they are if a car is going to overtake? That's Margaret in Tallow's view. And somebody has been over the last, I would imagine, while not just today, but over the last year or more, I've been uh, taking pictures of bad driving and this is in and around the Skibbereen area and they sent me in a number over 40 pictures on WhatsApp uh, of examples of bad driving now I physically haven't been able to go through every single photo but you have sent through a number of them that I have got to and in fairness you were pointing out some of the reasons why maybe we are having those accidents on our roadways and you had the evidence and it's not the person driving by the way it's somebody in the passenger seat is taking these photos and an example of the bad driving uh, this is the first picture I have here is people cycling on the road in and around the roundabout in Skibbereen and there are six or seven people together on the bikes but as a result of that they're not pulling in which means the cars can't pass so the cars are passing out the bikes on the other side of the road uh, which is causing or could cause an accident uh, delivery vans parked in yellow boxes so there's a picture of a car who simply has just parked on a street in Skibbereen as a result then this person has blocked the traffic coming up the street, that traffic has to indicate and overtake that car. But also then you have oncoming traffic and you have a traffic buildup because someone has decided to basically stop a car in the middle of a main street. And then another picture is of a van and maybe the van got frustrated, but the van is passing on a tractor with oncoming traffic nearby. Now, there is a bit of space, but not too much in that photo. Uh, so this person basically on WhatsApp just showing, uh, and that's just one area of Cork, 
on how accidents do happen and why accidents can happen. There's so much more uh, by way of commentary coming in on that story this morning on how motorists may face a hike in penalty points, a hike in fines and indeed looking at speed limits in urban areas. That's just a sample of the calls, texts and emails that have come into us across the morning. We thank you for those and we will get back to that tomorrow because we have so much uh, more to get through on this but we're going to speak to one person who used to work in the emergency services, retired now and their view on why we need to look at road safety because at first hand they have gone out to accident sites they have seen firsthand what happens after a road traffic accident they'll join us tomorrow on the show and more on this as we'll go back to that tomorrow if we didn't get to your comment we will go uh, and discuss that in further detail tomorrow I have more commentary in on various issues we'll get to those and of course Annalisa Drizel will join us shortly answering all your nutritional questions The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council where communities and business all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie Mallow Field Club they will have a tour of Blarney Village it's led by John Mulcahy it's going ahead tomorrow Tuesday you'll meet at the Bowling Green Park car park that is opposite the Mallow Garda Station at 6 o'clock or alternatively if you want to go directly to Blarney you can do so head along to the square in Blarney and on this coming Wednesday Anam Cara they will hold their city centre meeting and that will go ahead at the Maryborough House Hotel at 7.15pm and this is for all bereaved parents from the Cork City area are welcome to attend and the Bobby Bear Memorial Concert will be held in St. Peter's Church in Bandon that's on this coming Friday at 7.30pm all are welcome and donations will be collected on the night for the Alzheimer's Society of Ireland and St. Peter's Church Organ Fund uh, which of course uh, Bobby himself uh, would have played over several decades that's on this coming Friday Friday at 7.30 at St. Peter's Church in Bandon. If you want to include your event in the Cork Diary, simply email us, email diary at c103.ie. Cork Today on C103. Just staying with the roads for the moment, Tim and Bandon has an idea when we saw the WhatsApp earlier from a person who took a photo and there was seven to eight cyclists on a roadway near Skibbereen where they were all together. They hadn't pulled in for the oncoming and traffic behind them. Uh, Tim and Bandon feel cyclists should be under the same obligation as farmers and pull in and let the build-up of traffic pass. And yes, there are roads that are not suitable for cyclists, especially when they are two or three abreast, says Tim and Bandon. Uh, somebody else feels the video games are to blame because the way some people drive, they think they're actually playing a video game, especially if they're passing out on bins or passing out multiple cars at once and suddenly deciding it's a bad idea, but too late when you're then at the other side of the road and you have four cars next to you you're passing out it's not fair on other motorists while Pat is in Bantry he feels all cars should be limited to 40 kilometres an hour and only people who need cars like doctors and postmen should have cars this will be the future for driving says Pat in Bantry not too sure if that would work at the moment uh, with a lack of public transport and how would people get from A to B if, if you're not allowed to drive a car uh, but in the future will that be the case will things change dramatically in the future and we won't need cars uh, we'll all be using public transport where well, we'd have to wait and see Pat in Bantry thank you for your WhatsApp to 0862103103 and a lot of people also unhappy today 
And this is uh, the news that John Gilligan, who is facing a court appearance in a Spanish court this week, before though he appears in court, he could be appearing on Irish TV screens. This is the first of a three-part series. It's on Virgin Media and it's about his life of crime. And of course, uh, he himself, he is widely believed uh, to have been in the orchestration of the killing of journalist Veronica Gearan in 1996. Now, he claims in the series that he did not order a hit on her and he also claims in the series that he did not assault her, that he only, and it's quoted that he said he lifted her to her car when she bravely confronted him. He then claims that Veronica Guerin at that time had written an 80% lie about that incident. Now, obviously, the family of Veronica were contacted her husband, Graham Turley, who rarely has spoken about the murder of his wife. He's confirmed he's aware of the series and he says he thinks they were notified, but he is not participating in this series. And a lot of people not happy on this. Uh, First of all, uh, this person saying what a disgrace to show the programme tonight. So sad for Veronica Gearan's family uh, to see this. Uh, Joan saying it's a disgrace to show anything uh, about drugs on TV in this light. This is showing him off to be some type of glory seeker. It will only get others involved in drugs. Fine having series like Kin which show how the industry works but not actually real life documentaries. You're only encouraging people like this. Uh, and somebody else saying I think it's shocking to give uh, that thug John Gilligan gloating time about his criminalities. The country gone crazy. Every day there's a murder. Some Jew are linked to drugs. I will not be looking at this programme tonight. They should have respect for families uh, who have lost their lives from people due to drugs and uh, a lot of people saying they won't be paying their TV licence are looking at that. I suppose it's, it's on Virgin Media so uh, I don't know if this was one of those shows whereby they get funding from the TV licence and that but certainly Virgin Media don't receive money from the TV licence so not paying the TV TV licence for this might not make any difference whatsoever uh, when it's on an independent channel but the majority of people today feel it's wrong that documentary showing the life, uh, a three-part series of John Gilligan should be shown. And I suppose especially then when he's due in court in Spain this week. Anyhow, some of your views in and thank you for those on 0818 103 103. Court today on C103. And let's head to the Health Hub in Ballincollig and join Annalisa Drizel as we usually do every Monday. Good afternoon to you, Annalisa. Good afternoon, John Paul. And your nutritional questions are welcome on text or WhatsApp. And a number of them in and I think, Annalisa, you'll be very aware of this, I'm sure, from people going into your store there in Banning College. This is from Patricia in Ring of Skiddies. She has a bad cough at the moment. It is worse at night. It cleared up for a while, but it has come back. So what would you recommend? And it is hard to get any sleep. Now, she's not on any medication whatsoever, but from other callers that have uh, rang up and texted in today, it's when they lie down, it seems to get worse. Okay. Yeah, well, I think that There is a lot of COVID around at the moment. There was a big winter flu this summer as well. So I wonder, the first thing I would suppose is just to check that it isn't COVID um, and that it is just maybe a cough. And then I'm not sure if it's a dry cough or if it's a a mucus-producing cough. If it's a dry and tickly cough, what you want is something that nourishes the mucus membranes at the back of the throat. And you're looking for something like with mullein or marshmallow in there. Um, The ones that we find work very well for people are the Irish Botanica Botanical Syrup and the Comvita 
Manuka honey immune support, um, or else uh, the, we have mullion syrup as well, which is very, very good at soothing for dry and trickly. Tickly. One that you'll probably get in any health store is called Bronco San by Avogel, um, and that's from kind of Norway spruce, and again, good for dry and tickly. If it's gone into your chest and if there's a lot of mucus coming, you're still struggling with that virus. So something like the Dr. Dealish Care Mucotone would work very well because it's a blend of herbs to kind of help clear the chest, dry up the mucus and support the immune system against the virus. Uh, so that's a great one. And we have another uh, product here by a company called Betula called Pectus, P-E-C-T-U-S, which is a kind of a combination of different things for kind of the chest and the cough. So any of those would do, I think, um, Generally, coughs and anything inflammatory is worse at night. John Paul, most people will notice if they get asthma attacks, it can be worse at night. If they're in bed with arthritic pain, it can get worse at night. So that can often be the reason why a cough is worse at night. But if you notice that you're coughing all year round when you lie down, it may actually be uh, a little weak valve at the top of your stomach, allowing fumes from the stomach acid to escape up, and that's catching your breath and causing you to cough. So if that has been a situation for you in the past, taking care of that is the important thing. And what we normally recommend is a combination of slippery elm and zinc carnison to help tighten up that little valve. And that generally works for most people. Hopefully that works for a lot of people who have been in touch with that cough going around at the moment. And Elizabeth and Elisa has got cellulitis after a leg, a bite on her leg. Now, it seems to have come after the bite. She wants to know, is there anything she can take to prevent this from happening again? So, yes, so that's that's a difficult one in a way, um, John Paul, because so cellulitis is where the bacteria that often maybe just actually exists on your skin gets into your blood and actually starts to cause blood poisoning. So if you get a bite and you notice that the redness is starting to travel up the arm, the leg, the limb, that is a very high indication that that's, that's what's happening. And you need to have high-strength antibiotics to get rid of that. So if you're prone to it, the first thing I'd recommend is that you just keep an eye on it and maybe have antibiotics at the ready because if it goes too far, blood poisoning can actually be quite dangerous. In terms of prevention, certainly after the antibiotic, I would take a a good probiotic to kind of populate the gut and the skin ultimately with healthy bacteria. And healthy bacteria tend to help keep the skin healthy as well. Um, Immune support is very important because cellulitis often happens in people who are immunocompromised. So make sure that you're taking at least, at the very least, your vitamin D, your zinc, and your vitamin C throughout the winter, um, throughout the winter months. And then it's about preventing yourself from getting bitten if, if you think that it started off by bites. So rubbing something like citronella or peppermint oil into your sun cream or body lotion and rubbing it onto your legs will help to prevent you getting bitten in the first place. And Mary is in Middleton. It's uh, like what Patricia's question was earlier, but a bit different because Mary suffers from a dry mouth and nose for the last number of months. She wants to know what could be causing this. Now, she is on medication. Uh, she's on Kintira patches and Stignox sleeping pills. Uh, so what would you recommend for Mary in Middleton? So I think it's definitely a side effect of the medication, probably the sleeping tablet at night. I think that would be a fairly common and known side effect. So unfortunately, there really is it's very hard to battle the side effect of a medication. I think the best thing to do is to keep yourself, um, keep your mouth hydrated, maybe get a little spray bottle and into that spray bottle put in um, maybe something like um, 
you, like you need to use sterilised water, but you could maybe put in some uh, mouth healthy drops, like maybe eucalyptus or peppermint that will keep the mouth nice and healthy. The other thing you can take as well, um, for anything dry, uh, like in terms of membrane, so dry eye, dry nose, dry mouth, the omega-7 fats are very, very good for that. And you can get those in sea buckthorn. You can buy it in any health shop. And I think you'll probably get some relief if it's as a result of your medication. But you'll need to take them all the time because it's the medication causing the problem. OK, hopefully that helps you out, Mary. And another Mary, and this Mary wants to ask you, what's the best vitamin D product to take? Because she has been on, I think it's Humira, for 10 weeks for rheumatoid arthritis, but has been told that her vitamin D levels are quite low. Yes, and I would suggest that anybody who's got a, um, an autoimmune disease of any kind, um, be it lupus or rheumatoid arthritis or Hashimoto's thyroiditis um, or ankylosing spondylitis, any of those, um, an ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, you should be getting your vitamin D levels checked on a regular basis because studies have shown that vitamin D levels tend to be compromised in these individuals. So I would suggest that you take a minimum of 1,000 units a day of vitamin D, and it needs to be vitamin D3. Now, they come in different forms. You can get them in tablets. You can get them in soft gel capsules. um, You can get them in cellulose capsules. You can get them in sprays. I think the ones that are probably in a bit of fat are quite good. So I personally like the soft gel capsules because vitamin D being fat soluble, I just think it optimizes the ability for the body to be able to absorb it. So the the brands that would be very good generally would be Nature's Plus, Viridian is very good. The Nature's Plus one, they do the soft gels. Pharma Nord do soft gels as well. They're called Bioactive D-Pearls. They're an excellent product. So just uh, make sure that you're taking a reasonably good quality one from a health shop. And if you're taking a 1,000 IUs, that's probably enough to cover healthy people. But I think it should be um, that you should go and get your, your D-levels test- tested if you've got um, any type of autoimmune. And then base your your daily intake from then. So if it's really, really low after the summer. If your vitamin D is very low after the summer months, you'll probably need to take maybe 2,000 rather than 1,000 a day. And Kath has a situation where she's feeling very tired, Annalisa, and bloated. She has a tired, bloated feeling nearly all the time. And she says even though if she goes to the toilet for a number two, maybe after breakfast, it still remains with her, that, that tiredness and bloated feeling. Um, anything that she can do or what can you recommend for Kath? So... Okay, so it's it's a difficult one because tiredness can be as a result of lots of different things and then bloating can be as a result of lots of different things. And while bloating might make you feel tired, it's not necessarily always the case. So I don't know, is has there been an antibiotic in the past there recently? Um, is there, um, you know, like if, if you evacuate your bowels fully, you probably shouldn't be suffering from bloating. You shouldn't have that bloated feeling unless there's a buildup of gas It's possible you're not digesting your food properly. So maybe for the bloating, you could try a digestive enzyme. And I'd recommend one with a probiotic because sometimes if you don't have the right bacteria in there, um, the other bacteria can ferment or putrefy foods and cause bloating and wind and things like that. So I know that Terra Nova do a lovely product that has um, a digestive enzyme and a probiotic combined. And also uh, there's a Patrick Colford product called... um, 
it's, I think it's called Digest Aid, and that one is a, sorry, Digest Pro it's called, and that one's a combination of a few different things. So I'd suggest trying that for the bloating, and maybe if it, if it increases the energy, it might mean that if you're digesting your food, you're getting the good out of it, may improve your energy. But if you don't feel an improvement in energy, other causes could be low iron, low vitamin B12 or folate. Um, in the blood that uh, are low vitamin D. So a blood test would show all of those up. Sometimes it could be post-viral fatigue. I'd recommend NAC for that. N-acetylcysteine or NAC is very good for that. And coenzyme Q10, that can help with energy. Sometimes just taking a B vitamin supplement can help boost your energy. And then for an immediate energy boost, ginseng is great because it doesn't make you feel jittery, but it will give you a good energy boost. And as you're mentioning energy boost there, maybe those you've mentioned uh, can work for Mike. Mike is a, a new dad. The baby, his baby is only about three months old, but baby isn't sleeping very well. So as Mike is going to work, he hasn't a lot of sleep and he wants to know what can you recommend to boost his energy so he can stay concentrated in his workplace? I think definitely. Um, I would probably recommend two things here, John Paul. I'd recommend a tonic on the whole because when you're tired like that, you actually have a higher nutrient requirement a lot of the time because a lot of stuff happens at night time in the body in terms of repair and rest and maintenance that's not happening if you've got interrupted sleep. So I'd recommend a good tonic like Source of Life Gold. That contains an awful lot of stuff besides the, the, the basic vitamins and minerals for the immune system and for energy support. Um, and there is a little bit of ginseng in that. So if that's not enough to keep you going, then just get a bottle of ginseng. One of my favorite ones, again, it's a Terra Nova product. It's called Dynamic, Dynamic Synergy. Um, and they have a Vital Synergy one. They have about five different ones of, um, of, of blends of ginsengs with other herbs that support you through stressful times, be it physical or mental stress or lack of sleep stress. And they're great to take mid-afternoon just to maybe get you through the afternoon and help build both, that they'll all improve concentration as well. And any advice for Mary in the city? Mary is feeling depressed and down at the moment. There's a lot of sickness in her family and a few other issues. Now, she has support around her, uh, but she wants to know, could you recommend a natural remedy for depression? Well, I suppose the most typical one, John Paul, is... um, St. John's Wort, which unfortunately is only available on prescription from the doctor. But in this case, I think rather than it being a classical clinical depression, it's more of a situational depression, probably because of long-term stress with all of the stuff that's happening in the family. So I think if you support the, the body here for the stress, and this happens to people who are grieving as well, grief is a huge mental stress, and then it puts a physical toll on the body. Um, I think that Supporting the body for stress will help lift the mood naturally. So there's a couple of things I'd recommend. The first is something like ashwagandha. Um, It's a great herb for kind of improving your core strength in terms of coping with stress. So it's a great one for anybody who would have busy jobs, busy lives, uh, would feel that stress is getting on top of them, who do an awful lot of physical um, activity as well and sports. It works very well for them. For people who've been mentally stressed, if you're going through breakups or a loss of any kind, it's one of the best ones I've ever seen in the shop for really just helping people improve their coping skills. So we have a couple of ones that we really like. Um, there's a Stress Vida one that's a great quality one. Um, but if you go into any health shop, they'll have a whole variety of them. And then in terms of low mood, there's 
saffron has had some fantastic uh, benefits and there's some lovely, interesting studies on it. So there's a couple of products that have saffron in there. Um, Salgar do one called Ultimate Calm. Um, and that has got saffron in there. I think it's mixed actually with a bit of ashwagandha, so that's a perfect one. And then um, Viridian also do one with saffron in there. And then the last product I recommend because I've seen such good results in the shop here is Nutri Advanced Resilience, and they'll all help. They can all work together, and they'll all they'll all help. Okay, Mary. Hopefully that helps you out and you mind yourself. And Annalisa, thank you for that, and we will chat to you next Monday once again. Take care. Annalisa Giselle there joining us from the Health Hub in Banning Colleague. You can check out everything she said at her website, healthhubstore.com and you can listen back and pause to any advice she gave on our website c103.ie and also listen back on the C103 app or wherever you get your podcast. That's it. We're back tomorrow morning from 10am with the Cork Today Show. Enjoy your sunny Monday afternoon. I'm John Paul McNamara. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.